This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut. Welcome to a Tuesday morning wake-up call here on Sports Country Radio. We appreciate you spending some time with us here this morning. Lots to talk about. Actually, you know what? No, I shouldn't say that. Not a lot to talk about. It was a very quiet sports night. Of course, uh, the NFL uh, Monday Night Football last night. We'll get to that in a minute. We've got the World Series coming up tonight, theoretically. Uh, baseball could be over for the season uh, tonight. It, it is election day around the country, uh, mostly municipal elections, although there are uh, some governor's races. There are a few uh, uh, Senate races, but there's not. It's, it's a fairly, or representative races, it's a fairly quiet um, election. Uh, but, you know, one of the things before we get to uh, to Monday night last night, there was a story uh, yesterday on Yahoo News, and uh, it's very concerning to me. Well, number one, we've seen, you know, Joe Biden, who won the election, beat Donald Trump, um, you know, and we see now that his poll numbers are dropping, and that's because he hasn't been able to get anything passed yet in, uh, in Congress in terms of, uh, you know, a lot of the plans that the Democrats had because they've got some holdouts from uh, the uh, the progressive side of the Democratic Party that are really kind of trying to uh, uh, put the brakes on things because it's not enough. They want to spend three trillion dollars, you know, and we got other people that don't want to spend that much. And it's just it's crazy. So we see that his poll numbers are dropping. It, right now, his his approval rating is the lowest it's been since he was named president. But what concerned me about this story that was in Yahoo News, there was a poll taken uh, at towards the middle to the end of September, between September 16th and September 29th. And uh, in this poll, they conducted a bunch of interviews with a random sampling of about 2,500 adults living in all 50 states in the country. And this is where, folks, we need to be concerned Nearly one in five Americans, 18%, said that they agreed with the following statement. Because things have gotten so far off track, true American patriots may have to resort to violence in order to save our country. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. Nearly 20% of these 2,500 people, now granted it's a small sample size, but it was all 50 states, it was both parties, and 20, nearly 20% said that true American patriots, which by the way I have no idea what a true American patriot is, may have to resort to violence. Now, this was, poll was conducted by the nonprofit Public Religion Research Institute. Now, I will say this. 
that is a a uh, uh, very conservative uh, nonprofit group, and so this is what you know. This is skewing kind of the way they want it to go. Um, and and I don't care what anybody says. Uh, this guy uh, Robert Jones, who's the CEO, the Public Religion Research Institute. You know, and third, this is this is what's even more concerning. So, twenty percent, nearly twenty percent of all the people that responded felt that way. Thirty percent of Republicans felt that way. Thirty percent of the people that in Donald Trump's party believe that true American patriots may have to resort to violence. First of all, please tell me what a true American patriot is. I mean, um, let me t- let me just be very clear about this. I love this country. I think this country is the greatest country in the world. And I don't care what anybody says. And these people that these people on the left that want to say, ah, oh, now this country sucks, you know, and, you know, we've ruined this country. Shut up. I consider myself as patriotic as it comes. I, I love this country. But do I believe that we should ever resort to violence because the party that we want to win the election doesn't win? Because that's what this is about, ladies and gentlemen. This isn't about that we have gotten uh, so far off track. Let me tell you what's happened. Because of the way that the Republican Party is and the right-wing nut jobs like Donald Trump and, uh, and his ilk and these, these militia groups and everything else, because of the way that they have become, they have polarized this country to the point where we can't agree on the color of grass. This has nothing to do with anything other than partisan politics, period. Because nobody believes in compromising about anything anymore. Look what's going on. We have flight attendants getting punched in the face. A woman got, a a female flight attendant got punched in the face the other day because she was going down an aisle and she bumped some guy's arm. You know, we don't have a lot of room in the planes to begin with. She bumped some guy's arm and it spilled a drink and she apologized and everything else. And a few minutes later, he walks down the aisle of the airplane and punches her in the face twice and breaks bones in her face. That's what we are right now, ladies and gentlemen. This has nothing to do with anything other than we have forgotten how to be civil. We have forgotten how to meet in the middle. That's the problem. This isn't about our country being off track. This is about people forgetting how to be human beings and how to get along and how to compromise. Compromise these days has become a dirty word. And it's frightening. There is no you cannot tell me and to and that the majority not the majority well not the majority okay because I'm a Republican. I'm a registered Republican. I have been my entire life. That's about to change, by the way. I'm, go- I'm not going to become a Democrat. I'm just going to become an independent. Because the Republican Party that I signed up for when I was 18 years old is not the Republican Party that we have in this country anymore. We have a huge part of this party that has become 
radicalized. These idiots in these militia groups. These idiots that stormed the Capitol. That, that may be, in my lifetime, that may be the single scariest thing I have ever encountered in this country outside of 9-11 when we were attacked by terrorists. But I think this might even be scarier because it was our own people doing it to us. What the hell is the matter with us? And, and so now, because you know we've got this huge chunk of the Republican Party that's become radicalized, if anybody in that party dares speak against Donald Trump and about what happened on January 6th, they're excoriated. Liz Cheney's become a pariah in her own party. It's disgusting. It's sad. And it's dangerous. But this, so this is about, you know, this is just people forgetting how to compromise. And, and, and how compromise became this dirty word in this country, I don't understand it. Our founding fathers are rolling over in their graves. This is worse, ladies and gentlemen, than, in my opinion, you know, people keep talking about we need to have a civil war. Let me tell you something. If, if that ever comes to be in this country now, I can't even, it'll be worse than what happened back in, in, in the 1860s. The 1860s, it was about, you know, the North trying to tell the South what to do. We're trying to do away with slavery. And it wasn't, you know, let's look, slavery was a problem, but it wasn't just about slavery. It was more about economics than it was about slavery because the problem was is that the South's economy depended on slavery because the white people didn't want to work. They wanted the slaves to do all the work, all the hard work. We're up, you know. And so that was it was more about the economy than it was about slavery. I mean, they were kind of tied hand in hand. But this isn't, there isn't, here's the thing, there isn't one issue right now. This isn't about the economy. This isn't about slavery. This is about Side A believes this, side B believes this, and we can't get along, and we're not going to figure out a way to agree on anything. So you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to pick up a gun and start shooting people. Or I'm going to go down an aisle, and I'm going to punch a flight attendant in the face because she bumped my arm. Think about that. That's what this is. This isn't about some overriding huge issue in this country. This isn't about abortion. This isn't about uh, you know, freedom of religion. This isn't about anything other than you can't tell me what to do about anything. That's what, it, this isn't about, there's no great uh, issue in this country right now that is the dividing line. This is just about people have forgotten how to be civil. So when I read a story that tells me that 20% of the people that were surveyed in this poll believe that true American patriots may have to resort to violence to save our country? Are you kidding me? First of all, if you're a true American patriot, you're not going to pick, take up arms and have violence against your own countrymen. That's not being a true American patriot. A true American patriot figures out how to compromise and how to get along. That's, that's how this country was built. 
when they were drafting the Declaration of Independence, when they were drafting the Constitution, people had radical views on one side or the other about certain issues. But guess what? They figured out how to compromise to get a bill done that would ma- or to get a document done that would work for all of us. Now, this is just simply it's got to work for my side. And if it doesn't, I'm going to shoot somebody or I'm going to punch somebody. What in the hell has happened to the people in this country? Because we can't get along, true American patriots may need to resort to violence. And then on this election day, when we still have idiots like Donald Trump out there saying the election was stolen from me, and if you're a Republican, you need to be worried about whether your vote is legitimate or not, and that's still going on? Long after the election was over? It's frightening. Absolutely frightening. So these true American patriots are the act exact opposite of that. So I just, but I saw that article and I just, I kind of lost, lost it, you know, and 20, you could say, well, 2,500 people is not a huge, you know, in a, in a, you know, with a country with a population of 300 plus million you know, 2,500 people is not that big a deal. But it was all 50 states. It was both parties. Uh, you know, it's just, look, even if it's even if the real number isn't 18%, even if the real number is 15% or 12%, that's still frightening. And, and you know, and like I said, January 6th, scariest thing outside of 9-11 I have ever seen in this country. At 61 years of age, I can't think of anything else that disturbed me greater than those two events. You know, one of them was terrorism from outside our country, but when it's our own people uh, with, with, with domestic terrorism, our own citizens attacking our government and our, uh, our representatives, Jesus, Mary and Joseph. So vote, go out and vote. And exercise your right, but you have no right to start any kind of violence in this country just because the the candidate that you want to win doesn't win. That's just people looking for a reason to start trouble. You know, we all know people like that when we were young, right? We all went to school with people that were just out looking for a fight. And that's what we've got in this country right now, and on both sides. I'm not saying it's just the, the, the Republicans. It's the Democrats, too. They're just looking for a fight. Give me a reason. <laughs> you know, give me a reason. Man, we got to figure this out. You know, and I hope to hell I'm dead, you know, before we have another civil war or, you know, we, we see another event like January 6th. I hope to hell I'm dead before that ever happens. But but the fact that, you know, we're, you know, we're almost a year removed from what happened on January 6th and we still have people in articles like this saying, you know, we may need to we may need to you know take up arms to save this country. It's going to do the exact opposite of saving this country. It's going to destroy this country if we allow that to happen. So please, God, don't let that happen. And folks, just vote and let's just, you know. Let's just figure out a way to get along. Good God. All right, let's get to sports. Uh, Monday Night Football last night. 
Kansas City Chiefs beat the New York Giants last night 20 to 17. Harrison Butker with a field goal uh, with just over a minute left, a 34-yarder, to beat an awful New York Giants team. I mean, think about this for a minute. This is a New York Giants team without their best wide receiver in Kenny Galladay, their best running back in Saquon Barkley, and yet you're the Kansas City Chiefs that that went to the that's gone to the Super Bowl a couple of times with Patrick Mahomes, and you're supposed to be this uh, this dynasty they want to call it, and you struggle to beat a crappy New York Giants team. I'm going to tell you what, folks. If you're a Kansas City Chiefs fan, you need to be concerned. This is not a very good team. They are a mediocre team. Now, they needed that win last night in the worst way. It obviously it keeps them in the running uh, in the AFC West. It keeps them in the running in the playoffs because they're now a 500 team. But this is a t- Kansas City Chiefs team that has given up 27.5 points a game. All right? Uh, to put that in perspective, there are only three other teams in the AFC that are giving up more points than the Kansas City Chiefs right now. Think about that. The only teams that have a worse defense right now than the Kansas City Chiefs are the Jets, the Dolphins, and Jacksonville. Oh, check that. There's four of the teams. And and Houston that's given up 30 a game. But the Kansas City Chiefs right now, they have the worst defense in the AFC West. Good Lord, the Denver Broncos who are 4-4, four and four, are only giving up 17 points a game. Kansas City's giving up 27 points a game. They're only scoring 26 a game. Patrick Mahomes with another interception last night. Uh, also a fumble, you know. Uh, a crap ton of penalties against the Kansas City Chiefs last night. I think they had, uh, what, uh, 12 penalties last night. For 103 yards? I mean, and the Giants had 10 penalties. I mean, this game was just, again, this is another one of those games, regardless of the fact that it went down to the final minute, this is another one of those games where you're the NFL, you're going, yeah, this is not the poster child for, you know, how great this league is. You know, and you look, and look, the Chiefs ran the ball fairly well. They had 29 first downs last night. You know, uh, 368 yards of offense, but again, turnovers, And penalties. And Patrick Mahomes, he threw for 275 yards. He was 29 of 48. The number of open receivers that this guy missed last night was incredible. He had no idea where the ball was going. Quarterback rating last night was 74.6. Daniel Jones had a higher higher quarterback rating than than Patrick Mahomes. Now, I'll give the Chiefs credit for this. They got to Daniel Jones twice. The Giants got the ball back. And they sacked Jones twice in the final minute to secure the victory. But this was, you know, this was one of those, if you're a Chiefs fan, you can't be happy. I mean, you'll take the win any way you can get it. But, man, you know, when you've got to rely on Harrison Butker kicking two field goals to win this game in the fourth quarter with with the, uh, you know, the great, uh, the next great uh, quarterback in our league, Patrick Mahomes. He's supposed to be the next Tom Brady, struggling like mad. 
you know. And as uh, if you remember last week, we had, when we had Dan Zampano on, you know, Dan said, "Look, there's no chance the Giants win this game." Well, they they did have a chance to win the game, but he but he also said that you know, and the the line on this game was nine and a half points. The Chiefs were a nine and a half point favorite, and as Dan said, the Chiefs shouldn't be a nine and a half point favorite over anybody right now. And last night was Exhibit A. They were not good, you know. But fortunately, they got enough, uh, you know, on the ground from Darren Williams and uh, and Gore, you know, averaged over four yards a pop. But outside of that, you know, Patrick Mahomes was not great, and he has not been great this season. You know, and I'm not saying Patrick Mahomes stinks. Don't get me wrong, but there's something wrong with this Chiefs thing, this Chiefs team right now. And Andy Reid said, "Look, last night in his press, post-game press conference, he said, listen, everything is not beautiful right now.' <laughs> no kidding. He said, "But we're fighting through it." He said, uh, "You know, things are just not working the way they're supposed to work. So we'll build on that. Let's keep going." Well, I mean, I, what else is Andy Reid going to say? You know, and, and if you're the Giants, I mean, I guess, you know, you're encouraged that you hung in there with the Chiefs. I mean, but again, it's more about we hung in there with the idea of the Chiefs than the actual Kansas City Chiefs, right? The Giants hung in there, uh, you know, people thinking that the Kansas City Chiefs are the team that went to the Super Bowl last year. They are not. So, you know, and the Giants fall to two and six, and the NFC East is just hideous. You know, but they didn't get blown out. So I guess you should be happy about that. And then the Giants now will come back home. They get to face the Raiders on Sunday. And the Chiefs are going to get their asses kicked on Sunday. The Green Bay Packers are coming to Arrowhead Stadium. And, I mean, it's, you know, theoretically, it's a great quarterback matchup, right? Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes, the old guy and the young guy. This is a Green Bay team coming in at 7-1 and one and a Kansas City team that can't get out of its own way right now. I think the, the, the Green Bay Packers are going to beat the ever-living crap out of them. I, I really do. So, uh, anyway, so that's where we're at as far as that goes. Uh, the Tennessee Titans announced that uh, Derrick Henry, their star running back, the guy who was leading the NFL in rushing right now, is going to have surgery today on his right foot. There is no indication when he will be back. They have not said that he is uh, out for the year. You know, uh, head coach Mike Rabel said, look, uh, you know, uh, whenever that's, you know, whenever it is, it is. You know, when whenever they say he's ready, he's ready. He said, but I know he's going to try to come back. The doctors are probably going to try to put the, you know, the, the, the brakes on it. But he's going to try to come back. But this is a guy that had already, think about this. Right, we're what eight games in? He has nine hundred and thirty-seven yards rushing, and ten touchdowns. I mean, he's he's carried the ball two hundred nineteen times, well ahead of uh, Joe Mixon of Cincinnati, who is the next highest at one hundred and thirty-seven. I think about that, and he's also caught the ball eighteen times, which is like a, I think if that's not a career high. It's damn close to it. You know, but the good news for Tennessee is is that they have breathing room. You know, now obviously they'd like to be right now. They would be the number one overall seed. 
uh, in the AFC if the playoffs started today. But they're 6-2, and two and they've got a three-game lead in their division. The Indianapolis Colts are in second place in the AFC South, 3-5. and five. They are not catching the Tennessee Titans. So there is no need to rush Derrick Henry back. Look, he's got – there's nine games left in the season. If he takes two months off and comes back for the final regular season game and they've got him ready uh, for the playoffs, then that's – you know, to me, that's – I'm sure that's that would be best case scenario for them. And if look, you look at the Tennessee schedule, and you know their next couple of games are rough. They've got to play at Los Angeles, and then they've got to play the Saints at home. But then you look after that, they've got Houston. They play at New England. Okay, you can say that's a tough one. They've got to play Jacksonville. They got to play. Actually, play, have to play Houston twice. They got to play the Dolphins. I mean, their schedule is. They've got to play San Francisco on thanks uh, on December twenty third, a Thursday night, just before Christmas. I don't think that's going to be that tough a game. I, I think. Look, even without Derrick Henry, I think this team is still, you know, probably going to end up with at least ten wins and you know maybe more. And to replace Derrick Henry, the uh, Titans have signed Adrian Peterson. Adrian Peterson is thirty six years old. I don't know what he's got left in the tank. He last played for Detroit last year. Uh, wasn't great. Averaged about three and a half yards a carry. Look, they just need somebody that can carry the ball, knows what he's doing, going to be able to pick the offense up fairly quickly. Um, but uh, whether he'll be ready or not for this week, I don't know. But I'm sure they're going to try to get him up to speed as quickly as possible. So Adrian Peterson uh, will take Henry's place at least for the time being. Uh, the trade deadline for the NFL is today. And uh, there was a trade yesterday, and it was a bit of a shocker. Uh, the Denver Broncos traded Von Miller, the franchise leader in career sacks, the guy who was the uh, Super Bowl 50 MVP. They traded him to the Los Angeles Rams yesterday for a couple of draft picks. Von Miller was uh, did not play last week. He had a sprained ankle. Uh, he was distraught. He was very emotional about this. He's not happy that he has been traded. Uh, I mean, I guess, but, you know, if you're Von Miller, I mean, I get it. I mean, you've been with them your whole career. Um, you know, and I, and I understand, you know, why he'd, you know, be emotional about it, but at the same time, He's going to a team that's got a chance to make the playoffs. The Denver Broncos are not going to the playoffs. So, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, he's going to a better team. He's going to play in a great defense with guys like Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. I mean, he hasn't had that kind of talent around him in a long time. So it's going to be better off for him, but I understand why he's upset. The other big question today is, is will the Houston Texans trade Deshaun Watson? Now, uh, Albert Beer from uh, Breer from the from Sports Illustrated is saying there's a 50-50 chance. Well, great, I could have told you that. Um, but supposedly, Houston is still looking for multiple first-round draft picks in exchange. Dolphins are still in the mix. There's some other quarterback problems around the league. Washington could use them. Uh, Carolina could use them. Uh, 
you know, uh, so I don't know where, you know, if he's going to go. But the problem is, is that and there's a chance, I guess, that he might settle these civil cases. We're going to talk about that. But, you know, there's been indications that if he does get traded, the NFL will put him on the exemplar. So you could trade him and and he's not playing this year. You know, uh, so we'll see. But uh, I think it's less than 50 50. I do. I think if he gets traded, I think it'll be in the offseason. I think. I think most teams are not going to want to pay that price with the idea of, look, we don't know whether or not this guy's going to be able to play not just this year, but next year. You know, there's still an ongoing criminal investigation. So, I don't know. I I have a hard time believing he'll be traded. I think it's way less than 50-50. I think he stays put. And a lot of people are wondering if the Patriots will do anything. The problem with the Patriots is they only have about $2.5 million under the salary cap to make a move. So it's not like they're going to be able to go out and sign, you know, trade for some high price guy unless they can either restructure somebody else's contract or send somebody else that's got a high salary off somewhere else. I mean, I, I just don't think that there's much that they can do there. I just don't think they have the cap room and, and look, all the moves they made in the off season with this free agent list, you know, the, all the free agents that they signed, you wouldn't think they'd need to make a trade at this point, but uh, you know, we'll see. I, 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 Again, I don't think the Patriots do anything either. I think they, they stand pat. It's 35 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break when we come back. we got a little baseball news to talk about. and uh, It's going to be a little bit of a shortened show this morning, uh, getting ready to head down to North Carolina to get our new studios ready down there. Can't wait. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 37 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake-up call here on the second day of November. By the way, we're going to have our first freeze of the of the uh, season tonight. Yay. <laughs> the good news is there's no snow in the forecast anytime over the next 10 days, so that's a beautiful thing. Uh, baseball tonight, 8:09 first pitch on Fox. Game six, it's in Houston. It'll be Max Freed. For the Atlanta Braves, Luis Garcia is going to get the start for the Houston Astros. Uh, Garcia, of course, who was great um, against the Boston Red Sox in, in a start there, but uh, and is uh, has an ERA of three point two five in the postseason. So been pretty good. And uh, look, if you're if you're Atlanta, you want to close this out tonight. You do not want this going to a game seven in Houston. You had a three one lead. Uh, a grand slam in the first inning in, in game five. It looked like it was going to be over. And I think the problem is is that this Braves bullpen is a little gassed right now. You know, with the injury to Charlie Morton and the quick hook that everybody has in the postseason, what looked like the strength of this Houston team, that bullpen that, that seemed to be stronger than the Houston one, is at a point now where I'm not sure how much gas is left in the tank. Now, obviously, that off day is going to help. Uh, I have to think if you're Brian Snitker, you're going after this hard tonight. Now, that means if you've got to use everybody, you use everybody and you worry about game seven then. But I think he's going to do whatever he can to make sure this does not uh, go to a game seven. Uh, and look, they got to figure out a way. Carlos Correa was great last game. Uh, three for five, a double, a couple of runs batted in. Uh, so um, baseball could be over tonight. And if you're the Atlanta Braves, you're sure as hell hoping so because it means that uh, – uh, uh, that you are the, the world champs for the first time since 1995. Uh, the Red Sox announced that Tim Hires, their hitting coach, uh, he wasn't fired. Tim Hires decided he did not want to come back 
to the Boston Red Sox this year. Uh, they offered him another uh, an extension on his contract. He turned it down and uh, to pursue other interests. Now, whether that means, uh, uh, I guess there's a uh, there's some college possibilities for him, uh, but it also may be a case of he might be looking to go to another organization where he is more than just a hitting coach. Maybe he wants more input, uh, you know, into an organization. Uh, look, this is a guy that has been with the Red Sox since 2018. And in that time since he has been there, the Red Sox have led the league, uh, all of major, all of Major League Baseball in runs per game at 5.3, batting average at 266, uh, slugging percentage 455, and OPS at 79. They have led MLB in all of those categories between 2018 and 2021 since he's been there, and they were third in on-base percentage at 335. So look. Uh, you know, and he was with the Red Sox organization as their minor league hitting guy. He was an assistant coach with the Dodgers for a couple of years before the Red Sox brought him back you know, when Alex Cora came. Uh, look, he's, uh, you know, he has earned an opportunity with another club to have more of an impact, and I don't know what that would look like, but it's enough that to make him think he didn't want to come back to the Red Sox. You know, and, and I think this... You know, I'm not going to look. He's a hitting coach, okay? So I don't want to get too carried away. But this is a guy that, you know, when you lead MLB in in runs per game, average slugging, and OPS, you know, over the period of four years, that's significant, right? You know, I remember, remember when Jim Rice was the hitting coach for the Red Sox for a while? And they were tearing the cover off the ball and, but then all of a sudden things start to slip and Jim Rice was out of a job. All of a sudden Jim Rice became a dope. You know, this might be one of those cases with hires. He might be like, you know what? This is the time for me to try to capitalize on the success that we've had. I mean, to be able to put those things on your resume as a hitting coach uh, will make you very marketable to other organizations or, you know, I guess to college if he wants to do that. But uh, I, don't, I, I don't know about a step back like that. But, you know, who knows? But uh, he has declined the Red Sox. Uh, uh, so now he is gone. Uh, the Red Sox also uh, got rid of Tom Goodwin. Uh, the team did not ask Goodwin to return. He had some issues this year with COVID, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, so now Hires is gone. Tom Goodwin's gone. So two members of the coaching staff uh, that uh, Alex Cora are going, is going to have to replace uh, this coming season. Another article this morning, by the way, in the Boston Globe, very disturbing article for me. Uh, Peter Abraham, who's, you know, I love Pete, known him for a long time, you know, but he was, you know, uh, expounding this morning on why the Red Sox should sign Carlos Correa as a free agent in the offseason. I hope to God that does not happen. This is a guy that Red Sox fans can't stand. Now, I know some are going to say, yeah, but he's talented and I'd rather have him. There are people in Houston that have trouble with Carlos Correa. He's a brash kid. He's, you know, I don't know that we need that kind of, uh, I, I, don't, I don't even know what the right word is. But I think, to me, you know, the word that comes to mind is punk. And I don't want him on the Red Sox. I'm not saying the Red Sox shouldn't go out and sign another shortstop, but I don't want it to be him. And I don't care, you know, they say, well, he's the best defensive shortstop in baseball. I don't care. I don't want him. You know, there's been some talk about maybe moving Bogarts to second base. That's going to be a tough sell to Xander, a guy that's got an opt-out after this year. 
if you ask him to move from shortstop, you're going to have to pay him. You know, he's got that, he signed that six-year deal, but he's got an opt-out after next year. If you want him to move to second base, you're going to have to extend that deal and you're going to have to give him more money. He signed a very team-friendly contract a few years ago. If you want him to change out of shortstop, you're going to have to pay him. You know, and I think Bogart's probably smart enough to recognize that, you know, shortstop's not where he's going to finish his career. He doesn't have the range at short. He'd be better off probably at third. He might be better at second, although, again, range is going to be an issue even at second base. Um, you know, the, this is where the Red Sox have some decisions to make. What are they going to do about Rafi Devers? He's probably, you know, he can he can make some great plays at third base, and then he can look like an, you know, awful. You know, would Devers be better at first? But then you have Tristan Cassis. Uh, then you have Bobby Dalbeck. You know the Red Sox may have to make some trades. They, you know, it's funny. All of a sudden, they're going to have some log jams, perhaps at the corner infield spots uh, in Boston. And uh, but please, God, don't let it be Carlos Correa. I don't care. I don't care who else you sign. I'd love to see him go out if they're going to try to sign a free agent shortstop. I'd love to see them go out and try to get Corey Seager from the Dodgers. Seager's a free agent at the end of the year. I'd love to see him in a Boston uniform. Absolutely. I don't. I'm not interested. In uh, Trevor uh, Trevor Story from Colorado, I still think that his numbers are skewed heavily because of where he plays. And you know, if and people can say, "Well, you make too much of that." No, I don't think so. Go take a look. You know, go to BaseballReference.com and take a look at his numbers at home versus at on the road. And you know, th- it's uh, it's stark. So there is no doubt in my mind uh, that uh, that might not be a, a good fit for the Red Sox. Uh, people have said, well, I, you know, how about, you know, how about Marcus Semyon from Toronto? You know, okay, but Semyon to me isn't that much better of a defensive shortstop than Bogarts is. You know, maybe, you know, he's slightly better, but I wouldn't, I'm not, let's not get carried away that, you know, he's the second coming of, uh, you know, uh, Mark Belanger for you, for you young kids. He was a great, one of the best defensive shortstops and baseball in the sixties and seventies played for the Baltimore Orioles. I know you don't know who he is, but trust me. He was outstanding, you know. But Marcus Semyon is not some defensive wizard. Uh, so, you know, but, I mean, he certainly brings some pop, which would be great in Fenway Park. But please just don't let it be Correa, please. Uh, a couple other quick things. The uh, Celtics lose last night. The Celtics got embarrassed last night. They led this game by 19 points. They were up 94 to 75 with three minutes left in the third quarter. Think about that for a second, right? They are up 19 points with three minutes left in the third quarter. The Celtics got outscored in the fourth quarter 39-11. to And they lose to the Chicago Bulls 128-114. to Now look. The Bulls are off to a great start. They're 6-1. and one. They're talented. There is no question about that. The Celtics are now 2-5. and five. You know, all these people that were saying Brad Stevens is the worst coach ever and, oh, my God, he should be gone, and they move him into the front office, and everybody's like, oh, thank God, is going to be such a better coach. I'm telling you what, Brad Stevens wouldn't be 2-5 and five with this team. I think they'd probably be 4-3. and three. Having said that, there are some problems in Boston. And after that game last night, there are some internal issues in Boston that might become a problem. 
Last night after the game, after they got shut down in the fourth quarter, Marcus Smart kind of went after his team a little bit and said, look, every every team in the league knows that we're going to go through Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. So every team is programmed and they study to stop those two guys. He said, everybody's scouting report is to make those guys pass the ball. And this is where it gets dicey. So Marcus Smart then says, but they don't want to pass the ball. Basically saying to his two teammates, the two stars of this team, if you don't pass the ball, we're going to lose and it's your fault. Now, there is truth to what he says. There is absolute truth. Look, last night the Celtics had 42 baskets. They only had 20 assists last night. Right? Uh, at the end of the day, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum get the ball. They are a black hole. Jason Tatum was 8 for 22 last night. Now, Jalen Brown shot the ball fairly well. He was 10 for 18, 5 of 8 for 3. He had a decent game. But he, but Marcus Smart, there is no question he has a point. At some point, those two guys are going to have to under, even Michael Jordan understood that there were times that he needed to pass the ball. The, the thing about guys like Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, they made players around them better. They understood when it was time to kind of take a back seat and let some other guys do some things and, and you know put them in positions because everybody's concentrating on me. I'm going to put you in a position, and I'm going to make you look like a better player. Jalen Brown and, and, and Jason Tatum have not figured that out yet. And you can look, you know, there is no doubt in my mind. And the other, the other problem is there's only one basketball. Those guys want to shoot the ball, right? And so, you know, their concern is, is well, hell, if I pass the ball, I'm not going to get enough shots up. I'm not going to score enough points. You know, that's a problem. So Marcus Smart has a point, but at the same time, you go public with that kind of stuff, and you talk to reporters after games, and it is all over social media this morning about how Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown uh, got spanked verbally by Marcus Smart. I mean, it wasn't even he just he did, it, this wasn't even a case of hey we got to fix our system. This wasn't even going after the coach. This was going after personally going after Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and saying everybody knows we got to make them pass the ball, but those guys don't want to pass the ball. I can only imagine there may be a couple of tough conversations with the Celtics uh, going forward. And and the Celtics and, and Brad Stevens have a decision to make here. Brad Stevens is a GM. Look, it, it, this might be a case of, hey, maybe we're not – maybe all these guys aren't going to be able to coexist. Maybe we need to have one star. Maybe we need to have Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum. Maybe, maybe these guys can't coexist because – uh, they're not willing to uh, to pass the ball. I don't know. All I know is that when 
You know, one of your other stars in Marcus Smart, the guy who's supposed to be the best defensive player on the team, comes out and says, uh, hey, they don't want to pass the ball. That's, that's a bit of an issue. So we may have a, an ongoing soap opera in, uh, in Celtics land, so stay tuned. Uh, one other quick thing, AP Top 25 came out. Georgia, of course, remains number one. Cincinnati, number two. Cincinnati, by the way, is not the number two team in the country. If they played Alabama, Oklahoma, Michigan State, they're going to get the crap beat out of them. They are not. Ohio State will beat the crap out of them. So will Oregon. So will Notre Dame. I'm telling you right now, they are not the number two team in the country. I know they're 8-0. They ain't that good. I've seen them. And I've seen plenty of other uh, these other teams in the top ten. They are not the number two team in the country, period. But be that as it may, they're number two. Alabama, number three at seven and one. Then it's Oklahoma, Michigan State. Uh, Michigan, after that loss to Michigan State, drops from number six to number ten. That was a great game, by the way. That Michigan State-Michigan game, great game. You know, a lot of people are killing Jim Harbaugh again. Uh, look, you know, Jim Harbaugh is, is uh, you know, it's one of those things about college football that I hate. You lose one or two games and you're a bum. You know, Jim Harbaugh could go 10-1 and one on the season, but if he doesn't beat Ohio State, he's a bum. You know, that's one of the problems with uh, – with, it's one of the problems. You know, uh, Jesus, you know, it's kind of like – again, it's it's kind of a microcosm of what's going on in our country with the, you know, with the, the fact that we can't get along. You know, you lose a couple of games and you're out. There's guys that gotten, have gotten lost their jobs this year with a winning record. You know, was it, was it Texas Tech? Coach got fired. He was five and three. It's crazy, crazy. Anyway, Oregon uh, seven and one. They're number seven. Notre Dame is eight at uh, seven and one as well. Wake Forest rounds out the top ten. Uh, they are eight and zero. Oh. Uh, they ain't that good either. You know, it's one of the things about the the, the balloting. And you know, as somebody who uh, worked on uh, national polls for a while, I mean, some of these some of these votes are just kind of ludicrous. But it is what it is. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We are off for the rest of the week. I will be down in North Carolina, so we will be back on Monday with another edition of the Wake Up Call. We leave you this morning with some music from the Highway Women. It's called Crowded Table. We'll see you next Monday. Enjoy the week. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.